So longtime listeners of the show will probably remember Jay Davis, who's been on a number of times. Well, in addition to being a friend and a consulting client, I'm excited to say now that he's also a sponsor of this show. Last year, when I was spending a lot of time at his company's office, he started a new company called Pillow Cube, which is this awesome memory foam rectangle pillow that's tall enough for me to be a side sleeper, but not have to have my head sag down like when I try to fold over my regular pillows. It's really pretty amazing, and for any side sleepers like me, it's great so we don't have to wake up with shoulder pain. On top of that, it's been really fun for me to see him have so much success because it's been selling like crazy. Anyways, if you're a side sleeper, I highly recommend going to pillowcube.com and getting one for yourself. It's there, but like I'm a practical person. I just want to be surrounded by people that's willing to give and they're not expecting to receive. And and the give giving, the go-giver mentality is what I love. And I get a lot of that at conferences. And so for for me, I don't complain. I just go and look and I didn't find one that was out there because everyone, it was kind of blended for whatever, but there wasn't a conference for me. And so I'm not one to stand back and just complain. I'm like, okay, who do I want to learn from? I made a list of 12 people. I invited them. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show, I've got Daryl Eves. Daryl, thanks for doing this. Hey, Jess. Thanks for having me on. So I've followed you for years. I know a lot of my friends have, but people not as familiar with the the world of YouTube awesomeness. How do you describe your background? Well, I'm like obsessed with video and everything that revolves around that online. And so I've started an agency back in 99 and used it to do lead generation and to really help different businesses and brands kind of get their message out. And as, you know, kind of the internet kind of took off, I, I really gravitated to uh, video because like that's really the best form of connection outside of word of mouth. And I kind of made my mark in that in so many different ways. So I love it. Well, my understanding is that your clients that you've coached on YouTube channels have like 60 billion views collectively. Is that right? So they probably have more collectively. The The 60 billion number actually comes from plans that we actually executed on. So the, the things that we were a part of, we created a plan and we're just tracking those projects, whether those are individual YouTube channels that we started and, you know, with a, with a plan. But it, it probably equates a little bit higher than that. I actually have one client that's getting a billion video views a month. And so... And I can't take credit for all the stuff that he does there, but we can definitely do on the ones that we were a part of for sure. Sure. So who have been, who have been maybe some of the most well-known channels that people would know? So my, my background actually started with, you know, brick and mortar businesses. And one of those businesses was a piano store that was trying to sell pianos and they're using YouTube to do that. And before you know it, people are watching those videos and and they were more entertained in the music and kind of where they're going to put the piano next and how beauty, you know, beautiful the the scenery was and cinematography. Uh, if you go check out the piano guys, that that was kind of that first really big YouTube channel that came out of nowhere. Like we I think we had like uh, 20,000 subscribers when when I first joined on and I went up to during the time that I was there about 1.8 million and they were doing a couple hundred million video views. So that's incredible. So, you know, you've also worked a lot with brands, you know, Red Bull, NBC, ABC, Adobe, all these kind of things. When when those folks are engaging you, what what are those conversations like? What are they looking for? 
So I got a really weird brain and, I, and it's true. It's just, I, I just kind of see things a little bit differently. So it really depends on the objective. So some of them like hire me for a launch. So when I was working with Amazon, they were looking to start the influencer program there and they wanted to know some dynamics of how to launch that and how to integrate it and how to get YouTubers involved with it. But ultimately, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it, you know, it, they have some purpose that they need kind of a video asset with that can go from there. And I, I would say the bulk of them, that's where they start, but then they realize, oh, it's much more than that. It's more about people. And I have a really good understanding how people respond to content, uh, uh, content, content could be a website or whatever. And so that's kind of where I kind of leverage in the messaging and how, how to have retention. Well, it's actually acquisition retention and then minimize the churn rate. And so that's kind of how it all evolved. So one, one company, for example, you know, and, and I generally nine times out of 10 people approach me, I don't go out to them. And so, you know, I'll get approached and I had a, you know, good friend that was working with Paul Tricks, uh, Utah company, and needed some just really weird stuff, you know, with with YouTube and ads and kind of their conference. And they called me up, and that led to working with Epic Games and working with them on some really interesting launches. You know, they have a parent parent company's Epic Games, but I was working with Chair Entertainment in in Utah, and then it led to working with the corporate on you know Fortnite and a few other other, other projects for sure. So that's exciting. Well, you know, let's say that people, you know, some corporate brand, they find out you've helped Lindsey Sterling and Mr. Beast and all these huge channels. What's a rookie mistake that you see big corporates making when they, they say, well, we want to get into YouTube? Well, I think it's how they're going to get into YouTube. And, and they think that, let, let's just say there's some brands that will go in and partner with a creator, you know, like a Mr. Beast, for example. And then they try to tell Mr. Beast what to create. <laughs> When he, he, he built an audience of, you know, hundreds, hundreds of, of millions of video views every month is, is going his way. And, you know, he has a, a very consistent brand and messaging. And then he's like, hey, well, you got to do it this way. And it needs to be this way because we're, we're, we got our degree in advertising and marketing. And this is what you need to do for best retention. When this person, you know, spent a lot of time understanding his audience. And there's a reason why he has 55 million subscribers and, and getting hundreds of millions of video views every video. And so not listening to the person that actually understands or, or you know, organic growth. And then two, being so set in their ways that they won't be able to listen a little bit more of how to, how to amplify. Let me kind of explain kind of a case in point on this. So there's a company that approached one of my friends, Jeffrey Harmon, who is one of the key founders at the Harmon Brothers and also VidAngel. And we've done several projects together. This is one where he kind of pulled me in and we kind of worked on it together as executive producers. The, the company was a Southern Utah company just down the road from me. And they, they were addressing an issue that most people struggle with in the world. And one of the co-founders decided to make a product on it. So she did a lot of research and time. And it's basically a, a stool that helps you use the bathroom better. It's called the Squatty Potty. And that Squatty Potty took off and, and hit very health conscious people that they're able to go. And they had this bright idea, let's get on Shark Tank because that's what we need to do. And, you know, they were only making a few hundred thousand dollars at the time, went on Shark Tank. And it took them to about, about $2 million in sales a year and some new inter interesting demographics. But the interesting thing was, is they topped out and they could not break that. They, they'd see a sell a spike when they do the, the replay on, on Shark Tank, 
but it, that's kind of where it hit. And so Bobby Edwards, the CEO of, or at the time of Squatty Potty, knew that he needed to do something different. And this is where most brands will never do it and they don't even trust it. And so he reached out to Jeffrey and he says, hey, I really like some of the videos that you've made. How would you like to do an ad for us? And doing something in that realm is difficult, but Jeffrey had two ideas. One was a pooping unicorn and the other one was a pooping bush. And, and so, you know, cause when you're talking about that, it's kind of difficult to do it. And this, this is where all context comes back. The, the demographic that Squatty Potty was going after at the time was 65 plus or 55 plus that it's health conscious. And that's kind of where they plateaued. This is like completely different messaging, um, completely different direction. Like it would turn off a lot of people in that, in that demographic. And as, you know, the performa and everything was kind of looking together and, you know, we're going through over the, the content, he's like, I just don't know. Cause he couldn't get his partners to agree on it. They knew that they needed to go to a different demographic. And then two, one of the partners was a member of the shark tank. And so you're like, you know, here's that dilemma of what you can and can't do. And basically Bobby knew he needed to do something different and he went all in and it wasn't cheap. Like it was like half a million dollars just to, to do this. And plus the branding that he built for years was going to be smashed by a pooping unicorn. And that was kind of the dilemma and he did it. And we, we went through the, the process and a couple of the partners came on board and they were really excited about it. We get to almost launch and I'm, I'm talking to Bobby and I'm like, Hey, Bobby. So, you know, what is, what does, you know, Lori Grenier think of this? And she goes, he goes, she doesn't even know. I mean, you spent a half a million dollars with this and she doesn't even know about the project. And she goes, yeah, I, I just didn't want to say anything. Cause it was like, absolutely no. And, and so what happened next was, you know, he took that risk, he took that gamble and it was a lot, it was a lot of, 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 of issue that was happening. But what, what happened next was he brought her into the loop right when we were launching it. She goes, absolutely brilliant. You know, this is going to be great. We released the video and it was a four minute video, like four minutes, you know, ad of a pooping unicorn. And they were able to get ROI in just a few hours. And then that ad had so much organic push that it was really inexpensive to buy, to buy ads on it as well, to, you know, to push it out there. Cause there's like, everyone wanted to share it, that it did $45 million in sales that went back from that ad, transform that company. And it didn't stop there. And this is where a big mistake that brands make is they think in quarters, right? Like you got to stop thinking in quarters. You got to think in, hey, total saturation. Do you know how long people have seen that video? It's like literally six years old, okay? And people are still discovering it for the first time and are still buying Squatty Potty. And they still use it as an ad campaign because it's effective. Like to get full saturation of the world takes a lot. And, and you know, you're able to go from making plateauing at 2 million to hundreds of millions of dollars. And they actually sold their company and they're, they're living quite well now <laughs> after doing that. And it was all based off of a CEO willing to take the risk to put the creative in the hands of someone else. And then two, the person that actually knew the, the upcoming audience, because our audience we were going after is the millennials. And this is like, this is like, you can't get anything better than a pooping unicorn with millennials. You know what I'm saying? It's like, that's the, that's that trifecta of effectiveness. Right. And, and so a lot of brands are hesitant to make the changes and then they're listening to the wrong people. They need to look at the people that actually have the track record and, and they need to put more emphasis on that. And where I come in and I'm a little bit different than most, you know, strategists, because I believe in organic. Organic, it, it rules the day. 
And so when, when we're doing a campaign, it doesn't matter to Squatty Potty or whatever, I look for an organic way to share. We actually found a subreddit that, that we, I didn't even know existed. It was like bronies. I don't know if you've ever heard of bronies. It's like men that like bros that like my little pony. Well, they have like these, these places that they congregate and it's like pretty interesting. And, you know, I, I actually teased that group with animated GIF of the pooping unicorn and went number one at Reddit. And best, guess what? That was the first place that I shared that went to the number one place of Reddit, which got us millions of views and millions and millions of things. Like people, we got picked up by Boing Boing and all these different other places. And it was all organic. It wasn't paid. And it had all this swell where people were sharing it naturally and organically and that's what, that's what most brands need to think about when they're doing it is, yes, the paid is interesting and it's predictable, but when you mix it with an organic swell, then that's when it becomes shareable, which is predictable too in sales if you do it right. Oh, I love that. You know, we had Daniel Harmon on the show and that's one of the stories that he talked about and a uh, different guy we had on the show, my friend Jay Davis over at Creatively was on the team that was working on the mechanics of getting yep. the unicorn to poop the rainbow ice cream, right? Yep. I remember um, calling up Jay and saying, I need a conveyor belt. And he's like, I know you can fix it, get it for us. And then Daniel, <laughs> yeah, he was the director of the, of the project, which was awesome. But what's interesting too is, you know, the wisdom to trust the people that really know, like the fact that they engage you because to know this is what we should do with Reddit, like what levers can be pulled rather than somebody who does some YouTube stuff, like going for, like, I think about this, like return on investment thing of like, I spent my early years trying to get staff as cheap as I could, you know, and like 10 years ago as the CEO of this private equity fund and like, nobody takes you serious because you're like 28 years old. I actually got asked at a meeting if my dad was coming. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm actually the CEO, you know, but I remember I hired this. Yeah. I hired this guy like 15 years older than me. It was like 300 grand a year. Most I'd ever paid for an employee. Right. It was like a game changer to have somebody who was actually better at me, better than me at the job. It like, was like this, like, oh my gosh, we're paying this guy triple our average employee, but he's worth like 10 of our average employee. Like this is a great deal to pay up for the right expertise. No, I, I agree with that. And let me tell you where it's interesting is because Harmon Brothers wasn't really, I mean, it was kind of a company, but it wasn't really that until Squatty Potty. They did poopery, but it was, they didn't even have a company when they were trying to take the check. So what's interesting is the dynamic of collaboration because Jeffrey Harmon said, hey, this is a perfect project for you and I to work on. And so we were both executive producers of the projects. You know, we had different realms. You know, I was working with kind of the client itself and then doing the launch sequence and then working on kind of the inter- interacting of marketing. And he was focusing in on the messaging and also the, which we both kind of cross collaborated, you know, kind of checks and balances, but he did that. And then also, you know, the optimization of the sales process. And so it's kind of knowing that there's that, that those opportunities and like, that wasn't the first project that we've done. We've done several projects since then. And it's just like, you know, there's a lot of people that are afraid to go into business or to collaborate or partner with an, an, a competing company. But if you have strengths and you can have cl- pure collaboration, which is, oh no, we're all trying to lift the, the ships in certain ways. Then you take the skill set of what one person has and it amplifies the project. And you can look at the different projects that Jeffrey and I have done. And, and it, you can see the, the hands of, of both the organic, which where I really thrive, and then the paid optimization side where he really thrives. And so it just really does balance out in that, in that regard. And I think 
as a company, you know, yes, you need to have people on your team, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to hire them full time to be on your team. There might be someone that's just perfect, a perfect fit that could come on and, and, you know, pitch it for you, you know, when you, when you need it. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about your new book. My first yeah. question though is, so anybody wants to check it out. It's yt, ytformula.com. Yeah, is it going to be on Audible? Yeah, YouTube Formula. Yeah. Yes. I have to fir- first learn how to read because <laughs> I'm, I'm doing the narration for it. So we, we're you? just, okay. uh, yeah. So that the stage of it is I, I'm releasing the book. It should be out. You're probably listening and it's already out, but come in the next couple of months, I have to read the whole thing. And I, I'm one that I'm a consumer of audiobooks. You know, I'll, I'll read or listen to between 76 to 94, you know, you know, books a year. And so I said, if I'm putting so much effort in writing this book, I'm going to read it too. So that's what I'm going to be doing. And it'll come out in June is when that will be released. So, you know, there's other books on YouTube out there by people of, of, of varying track records. I'll say it that way. Yeah. Okay. So when somebody's, somebody's looking at this and they're trying to say, is the YouTube, the YouTube formula, is that the book that I should start with? Is that for me? What are some of the things that they get from it? Okay. So give context. The book is my understanding of the history of YouTube and how it's evolved up to the point that it is today. I think it's really important that we understand history because we can understand decisions and kind of the direction where things are going. So uh, there's three parts to the book. Uh, The first part is all about the platform, YouTube as a platform. And did you know that YouTube actually started as a dating website? Did you know that? Only because I watched this like two hour video of yours and you told me that. (laughs) There you go. Most people don't know that. And here's the thing, and this is why the book's so important because the process that YouTube went through to decide what direction they wanted to go is the same process that I go through. Okay. So what YouTube, they started on Valentine's day and they, they wanted to become a, you know, dating service that was like eHarmony, but it was the different because you're going to share videos, you know, videos with, with videos. And they tried to get everyone to sign up. They would put flyers out in Stanford. They got people in Las Vegas to try to get people to upload and also Los Angeles. And they were even paying women $20 to upload a video back in 2005. Now to upload a video back in 2005 is completely different. And they were hitting this, this resistance, right? And that started in February. And in May, they had all this data and they're like, okay, let's, let's analyze the data. And so they started analyzing the data and they realized that no one was actually uploading for dating and they would post videos of their cat or their snowboarding adventure or, you know, things that they found funny on TV. And it was basically a place where people could broadcast themselves. Now they had a very, very important decision. They could continue to go down the path of creating uh, a dating site and says, I don't care what the data says. We're going to go down this direction. Okay. Or they could pivot and they luckily pivoted uh, or they wouldn't have been around. And it, it basically, uh, they went for self-broadcasting. Uh, they changed their kind of their, their handle to, you know, broadcast yourself. And then they gave all the tools that people would need to create. And, you know, you could embed, you know, videos on websites. And so that one decision of, hey, we have the data, let's analyze it, let's adjust it to meet the new need is how they were able to, a year later, 
sell it to Google for $1.65 billion. Now, that process is the process that I want every brand and creator to understand. It's like you put a plan together, you execute on that plan, but when the data comes back, you have to be willing to, to analyze it in a way to see what's best and what's liked and what's disliked to, you know, how to create that content to really improve. And so that's kind of the model that I did. So part one is really understanding the platform, the history, you know, the ecosystem, then also really in depth on the AI. Like you have to understand why, you know, it, it does what it does and the algorithm and so on and so forth. And then part two of the book is about the opportunity. And so many people look at the opportunity as YouTube selling ads on your videos. And that's a drop in the bucket. So I show all different frames of opportunities for brands, creators, businesses, small businesses, big businesses, businesses that are small that are huge because of YouTube. So I wanted to showcase that. And then part three of the book is the book's title, uh, The YouTube Formula. And in short, what the YouTube formula is, is the human formula, how humans actually respond to video content. And I obsess over all the little details of what you should analyze and how you should analyze it because when YouTube's making decisions, it's based off of human response and they start to see patterns. And so if you've ever gone to YouTube, you always see a video you want to watch. And when you watch it, YouTube knows that you like it and will serve you more type of content that's similar to that, or it'll test different things that they might know that you might like. And you'll click on that. And before you know it, you have a new viewing pattern and you stay longer and longer on the platform. And that's how YouTube actually analyzes it. And so once you understand the essence of people and the process of people and how to actually go through the, the creation process of understanding who the viewer is or the customer avatar or the viewer avatar and going deep into the demographic psychographics, what they do online, what they do offline, then you can see what value proposition that you can actually do. And then that will help them retain through the video, which is a good signal for YouTube. And if they watch more content, then that's a better signal that says, hey, this group of people really likes this content and there's more people like it. Let's go ahead and get that, that content out there to the people. Because 75% of all views that happen on YouTube today is when that AI finds the viewer for you, not you, the viewer finding you. And that's a really, really important thing. Yeah, I, I think so many of us who, you know, don't have your experience, don't, you know, aren't familiar with that. And yet what a critical thing if you want to have a strategy there. So my so my real question is on the pre-order bundle here on the website, the, the audiobook is separate. This is for the hardcover book? It's the for the hardcover thing? book, yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. So so how long between the hardcover book and when the audiobook comes out? Okay, so we're releasing June, I'm oh, sorry, February 24th is when the book comes out okay. in the United States and Canada. And the audiobook will be in June. Okay. So my you know, the listeners know that I'm a total audiobook nerd. Like if you don't count three or 400 books from the Jason Bourne genre, my like, you know, business marketing strategy books, I've listened to maybe 800 or 850 books there. And so you get like, and some of those I've listened to five and 10 times. Right. Right. And so I get kind of this sense of like, what kind of book I'm going to get, you know, just by a bit of research. And the reason I'm pushing click right now on my pre-order of your book that I just click, click so everybody else should buy it too. I just bought it is I can tell you've got a practical application that, I mean, I could be wrong. I haven't actually read the book, but, but, you know, we could have so many New York times bestselling authors on the show and I, and right. I listen to their books and plus my other books. And I think what's interesting to me is there's so many folks with good ideas and they've got aspirational and inspirational stories, but then they lack that like tactical, like, okay, I was inspired. Now, what do I actually go do <laughs> part of it? 
And I'm just going to go out on a limb and, and assume based on the research I've done, what I've done, that, that your, yours appears to be more than just the, you should be excited about YouTube. Listen, if you want me to, to motivate you and sing the Kumbaya, you come to the wrong place. <laughs> you know, I like for me, I I'm all about case study. Like if you don't have a case study, you don't have a, a platform to teach from my, my perspective. And so for me, case study is the way you learn. And what I wanted to do is prove that the system actually worked. And I wanted to give relevance to clients that I worked with or channels that I personally own. But here's where it gets interesting. And this is where this will go uh, more to what you're talking about. I decided to get a group of students together last year and teach them this formula and see their results. Well, guess who the majority of the case studies is in the book? <laughs> it's just average people. Because like for me, I don't want to show something and teach something if they can't go, oh, that's what he means by it. it like in my head, it might come off really great, but it's not going to really do a lot of benefit. And so in the book itself, and this is why... I'm doing it strategically and trust me that I am. If, if you really know who I am, you understand there's a thought process of why I waited to June for the audiobook is because I want people to buy the hard copy because it's a manual. This is something that you're gonna you're gonna crank open and you're gonna go go through the process and it's gonna be different for a lot of you and some of you won't do it. You'll wait for the audiobook. But what's different is in part three, every chapter there is training material in video form because if you're doing you know training on youtube and you're writing about it that's weird so you have to have training material that's there and then there's actually lists of tasks that you need to do to apply what you just actually learned not only in the chapter but in the video content as well and so if you will do those things which i taught those students to do you will start seeing success now of course, there's a lot more to it than that. This is just the foundation. There's advanced strategies and tactics that really can go through the roof. I wanted to do something that would not age, but it would, would make you a lot more hypersensitive on bringing value to the content. And I want to I uh, explain one thing. So one of the case studies that we talk about is Squatty Potty, and we brought that up in this, in this podcast. But when we was going to introduce it, it's like four minutes long. Now, I know that that doesn't make people kind of cringe, but at that time, that was unheard of. Like the most that you do is a minute video. And Jeffrey and I decided, hey, let's go ahead. We, we're really connected in the video space. You go sample it with some people. I'll sample it with people. Do we, we just need to see how well it's received. And every person that I, that I shared it to, these are high people that have really prominent positions in video marketing or strategy or whatever, at YouTube or whatever. And they're like, oh, the ad's too long. The ad's too long. And Jeffrey and I said, look, 90% of the people said that the ad is too long. What do we do? Now, understanding the principles that Jeffrey and I understood, you know, we were able to follow up and ask specific questions on that. And the question was, well, did you get to the end of the video? You know, and even though they said yes, was it at an obligation because of you're watching it for us? And we had just that gut instinct that it was because of the content and not because of us. And, and so we had a hard decision to make. But when you will have quality content, people will watch a four minute ad. Because case in point, I just listened to a three hour Joe Rogan podcast. That's three hours of my life. And the reason why I do it consistently is because Joe is predictable. He'll have really interesting people coming on and interesting conversations. And he actually lets his, his people talk. And it's not about him. It's about them. 
And it's really, really good. And yeah, it's a great time, you know? And for me, that's kind of my little indulgence that I'll, I'll have a podcast on like that. And that's where retention is. And some people would say it's insane. You have to do a 40 minute uh, podcast or a 20 minute podcast. No, when you bring value, i.e. the YouTube formula, when you have that formula down, then you can actually understand how to keep people all the way to the end. And not only only to the end, but they'll watch another video. And when they watch another video, they become a fan and they can't wait for you to release the next video. And it doesn't matter if you're a brand, doesn't matter if you're a YouTube creator or a small business. Well, I'm not happy to, I'm not sad to have just bought the hard copy knowing I'm still going to buy the audio because the best audio books, it's like an addiction. Like I fall in love with the book and then I get the Kindle and the hard copy because there's different, like, you know, I do try to treat them like manuals and go back enough times to actually absorb it or, or change our strategy. So I get the manual first and then I'll get my, I'll get my audio when it comes out. Well, you won't, you um, won't be disappointed. Cause I wanted to have something that wouldn't age as things transform, you know, and how humans respond to things. Like I'm using case study that was just basically came through the advent of radio and, and television and how that interacted. And like, I, I was literally obsessed, like since I was eight years old of, of really good content on, on TV I used to like sit by the the recorder waiting for my favorite commercial and I just hit record just so I could take it to my friend's house and show them a really cool commercial, you know, and that was back in like 1984. And so I've been obsessed with it. You know, I think that 1984 was a big year for me because that was the first time I saw Where's the Beef commercial. That's the first time I saw Apple's amazing Super Bowl commercial and anything Super Bowl was super amazing. But what happened was I started to analyze what, why people liked it and what people uh, winning found funny. And I kept a little notebook of just keeping notes of, oh, I noticed that these type of people like this type of, of, of Super Bowl commercial and these type of type of people like this type of commercial. And I started to see patterns even at a young age that would actually be super helpful in what I'm actually doing right now. I love it. Well, I feel like we probably should have booked this for like three hours because there's so many things from background <laughs> I want to talk about. You know, you got channeljumpstart.com for people. Yeah. I really want, like, I don't know if we have enough time for this discussion. Maybe we need to have you back on the show, but I want to talk about- We, we got time. Let's take time. We got time. Okay. Let's talk about VidSummit for a minute. I, I yeah. You know, again, there's a lot of events out there. You guys have built something special. For people who don't know about it, can you give, give people a little background? Yeah. So I'm obsessed with learning. And I, since I'm a person that that's a consumer of learning and I always actively learn, I, I spend an hour a day trying to better improve my life in all aspects of my life. And I, I was asked to go to events and I found a lot of value in events. I found a value in the, the networking that happens, the connection that's there, but also the people that would, pre would present. And I'm like, man, just like some of these events are so good, but they miss the mark in so many different areas. Like one thing that I don't like is the exclusivity that like you have to be gold medallion, platinum, whatever, to be admiral, whatever, you know, to even be invited into some of the rooms. And I, and I get it like every, every conference there, but like, I'm a practical person. I just want to be surrounded by people that's willing to give and they're not expecting to receive and, and the give giving the go giver mentality is what I love. And I get a lot of that at conferences. And so for, for me, I don't complain. I just go and look and I didn't find one that was out there because everyone, it was kind of blended for whatever, but there wasn't a conference for me. And so I'm not one to stand back and just complain. I'm like, okay, who do I want to learn from? I made a list of 12 people. 
I invited them to come uh, do a presentation at Vid Summit, and then I invited people to come to it. And that's how the first Vid Summit was was 12 people I wanted to learn from. I gave them a platform to teach. I didn't give them a topic. I kind of helped them refine their topic a little bit. I'm like, hey, we got to make sure it's good. Stuff that I want to learn from them. And and before you know it, that was the first Vid Summit. And it was a life changer for a lot of people in the audience, but also the speakers. Because what happens generally at a conference is the speakers come and they're the, the, the key of the show, right? But I don't like that. I want speakers that come in, they're going to give, but then they're going to go answer questions out in the hall, but then they want to come back in because they want to learn. Okay. Cause that's me. I want to be learning. And I, I can tell you the reason why we live stream it pre record record it is because I want to go back and, and pretty much consume everything that I missed and watch it over and over and over again. Right. And, and, and that's the key. And so that's how it all started. And that's the culture. The culture is like even the biggest keynotes, it was just amazing to get people like Gary V. like, dude, this is like a unique conference. And, and he'd go and do his thing, but he's like, dude, I, like, I want to see some of these things. And he'd come back in and people are like, like, you know, trying to sit by him and be his buddy, but he's like, dude, I'm, what are you doing? Like, I'm, I'm here to learn, you know, and it's really cool because of that ecosystem of, of really having people wanting to give and they have a lot to give and then they have a lot to receive. Now I can tell you what VidSummit's not, it's not about someone's life of how cool they are. Like, I, I, I don't even like that. What I like is case study. And so we'll have 90% of the stuff is, hey, this is what we wanted to do. Here's our plan. This is what we failed at. This is what we succeeded at. And here's our, the results. I love stuff like that, right? Because there's so much to learn from that. And then two, when you do that, then it just kind of fosters more people like it. Now we'll have about four inspirational things because I think people need the kumbaya. I don't need it, but there's a lot of people that do. And I understand that there's value in that as well. And so we kind of do that where it's just really, really heavy case study driven. And then we kind of have some keynotes that are peppered in that will get you the warm fuzzies that you need to get up in the day. But for me, I'm, I'm excited. So that's how VidSummit start. We had seven years and we've always organically grown. And what's really amazing is the biggest creators on the planet and brands on the planet they send their VP of marketing or stuff there. And they're like, this, this is like totally for them. Like they're learning so much and they're learning from other people on the stage. And I wanted to give a stage to people that don't necessarily teach, but they want to give. And, and that's why I started VidSummit. I think that's the longest answer of all mankind on. No, <laughs> I think you covered good things though. I mean, and, and there's a lot of people that can claim their stuff is good or something, but the, the proof is in the outcomes, Right. And you, you produced an event that was so unique and so effective that Mr. Beast is begging you to buy in and own the company with you. <laughs> That's so true. You know what I mean? Like, this is, this is an outcome. This is not just a claimed, oh, my stuff is great. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and I, and I have to say, I'm sure you guys could charge a lot more than $1,000 for a ticket. And, and, you know, being a guy who enjoys conferences and been to a lot of conferences in different industries you know, for that level of quality, it's not dirt cheap, but that's a really reasonable price for, for what you yeah. guys are doing compared to like yeah, and real I, professional I, conferences. Yeah. I I've gone to conferences that I've dropped like five, 10 K like I, I have. Right. And I, I go to it and they try to create an experience that, Oh, we're going on a yacht and we're going to do this and this. I really don't care. Right. For me, I just want knowledge and I want approachability. Right. So I want people to come there that realize, Hey, we're all colleagues. That's why there's no, hey, roped, roped off things. The only thing that we do is we do a party for our speakers and some VIP guests, but it's a speaker's party, like people that have contributed. We want to, you know, kind of 
thank them. But other than that, there's no exclusivity, anything, you know, and I want to make it affordable too, because, you know, it's not just a thousand dollars because they have to take time out of their, their life. They have to fly to LA, they have to buy a hotel and, and that's time and time is money. And when you really equate it up, that thousand dollars is really more like three to $4,000 just for the travel and everything. And, and them being away from being productive, it's probably even higher than that. So I wanted to make it affordable, but two, this is one thing that is interesting is we will not scale it higher than 1500 people. Now this, this coming year, it's going to probably be 800 people and we'll have to just sell out. We sell out every year, but we don't allow more people to come because there's, there's an essence of intimacy that you're able to interact and rub shoulders with about 1500 people that it doesn't feel so big that you can't do it. And I don't want people to separate into clicks. I want them to be a part of the one main group, which is vid summit attendees. And I think that right there is the essence. And and the biggest compliment that I, I felt like I got is um, really good friends with Casey Neistat. He's a YouTuber, you know, yeah, just course. extraordinary. And I, I'm like, dude, Casey, come, come present. And he's like, oh man, I don't know, blah, blah, blah. You know, and so I finally get him to come, right? And he comes in and he's like, I need security. I'm like, don't you, you don't need security. I promise you. Like if there's one place in the existence of all humanity that you don't need securities, it's here. And he's like, no, I've been to all these conferences before and like people are crazy. And I go, okay, like, I will have a volunteer stand by you and 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 assure you. And he'll be a big volunteer. And he goes, okay, that's good. And so uh, he comes in and here's Mr. Beast, who's a lot bigger personality than Casey Neistat. He's like, he comes in, he's like, he's, where's your security? He's like, security, what are you talking about? Like, these are my peeps, you know? And so he went out and he comes back and he's like, dude, where's this conference been my whole life? I go, Casey, I've been inviting you all these years. Like, <laughs> this is your people. These are people that are your colleagues out there. And it just clicked for him and it was really, really cool. And so, you know, you know, he's, you know, he, he's been great. And other people like Gary came back the next year. He's like, dude, this is like an amazing conference. It's like, I'd never go to the same conference twice, you know, and here he was coming back and it's just, there's something special about it. And I think that it has comes back down to, you know, all the people that come are wanting to learn, but they're always also willing to give, right. And, and they're willing to, to help share or help whatever. And I think that's the culture that was created. And I, I think it's a little bit different than if, if it's a take culture, then of course you're going to need security because like people just want to take, 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 you know, and uh, you know, I don't know. I think it's just different, different culture for sure. Yeah. How many YouTube channels do you think you've started now? yourself? Well, we currently own 17 that, that I, we actually upload 32 pieces of content a week. So those, those 17, and it equates to about 700 million video views a, a, a month, all of which ha- are, are, you know, gold play buttons. So they're over a million subscribers. Um, I don't talk about them much, you know, and then every year we start two new uh, YouTube channels. So we just start our 18th channel and we're about to start our 19th channel. And so I don't know, like collectively, all I know is what, what we're currently working with. So I, I, I don't even know. Well, yeah. What are the two new ones or what's share. the new one that's out? Yeah. I'd never share. And th- this okay. is the reason why, uh, cause like, listen, this is really important in the book. You're going to see the first part of the YouTube formula is giving the audience where it's at. And so like what you want to do is have the right type of audience and the AI is looking for patterns. Okay. So if you don't like that certain content, I don't want you to go and watch one video and say, oh, this is not for me, because then I have a whole bunch of people going to a, a, a YouTube video or a channel that says, oh, this is not for me, instead of, conf- it's confusing the AI. 
So right now uh, we started a channel January, uh, okay, January 13th. So it's been well over uh, one month. We already have over you know, 5,000 subscribers on it and we're getting about uh, 10,000 organic views a day on, on the channel. It will be at a million probably within 18 months, just based off of the, the patterns that we saw in the, in the demographic. And, and so all the channels that I work with, there are either two types. The one that there's not a, a, a personality in it that you can just see hands or people or kids channels or whatever it is like, like that's kind of where i'm at because it, like it's interchangeable it's like a system you know if you understand it and then if it's personality based i'll actually partner with someone and I, i'll give i'll always give those names so the the, the latest partnership that we did uh last year was a, a tow truck company matt's off, off-road recovery and if you look at what happened in June, between June of last year and July, you can see where he was at and he just took off like this. That's when he actually learned the YouTube formula and we became partners and we, we basically took care of a lot of the, the heavy lifting on the back end. So he could create content, be that, that face in front of the camera. And then we're the strategists and the tacticians and the stuff from there and the editors and, you know, going from that, that process. And so, you know, and that he was able to get 110 million video views since June to the, to the end of the year. And and now he's just, he's exploiting again, you know, at the beginning of the year. And so, yeah, that's, that's kind of what we do. And what I love more than anything is to come up with an idea and see it executed and, and get, get a team built around it and then just pull myself back, consult for it and then move on to the next idea. And I think that's kind of the nature of why I own seven businesses, why, you know, I take on crazy projects at times is I love to see things get running, get a system in place that I can scale back. Yeah, that's exciting. You know, I think something that even people that know about you may not be as familiar with is what you're doing off of YouTube. You know, we talked about the Harmons a little bit and and yep. related there. Can you talk about can you talk about the chosen? Absolutely. So the, like everything's like interconnected in one way or another. So I, I had Jeffrey as a keynote speaker one time and I invited him to uh, Vid Summit. He'd come, but this year he goes, I'm so busy. I got so much going on. And he actually ended up coming to Vid Summit. And he's like, is that ticket still good? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Because he goes, okay, I'm coming. I'm on the next flight. I'm like, okay, Jeffrey, whatever. <laughs> he just, Jeffrey's being Jeffrey. And I get there and I'm like trying to put on an event. He's like, Daryl, I need your time. I need, I need 20 minutes of your time. I'm like, Jeffrey, do you see not what's going on here, brother? You know, I got, I got a conference to put on. I got 1,500 people to, to make sure things go. got four different stages going on at once. He's like, no, 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 I need your time. And I'm like, okay, if he's going to fly all the way here and he's my time. So we went up there in the room, me and a couple other people. And he had his little Chromebook about yay big because that's Jeffrey. And he opens it up. He says, I want you to watch this, this, you know, pilot. And it was a pretty disruptive. It was like really low budget, but it was about the birth of Jesus Christ, but it was from the perspective of the chosen. And I, I, I was blown away by just the authenticity and how fresh the angle was. And, and we got to a scene that was really pivotal for me as someone that really wanted to learn about Jesus Christ, but then he got kicked out. Like he was just being shunned everywhere he went. And then he actually was able to help someone on his lowest point of the day, you know, and he was able to give water and it was actually to Mary and Joseph who was about to, you know, witness the birth of Jesus Christ. Right. And little did he know he was going to be the shepherd. Well, that's the moment that I had to leave because I was getting, there's an emergency. And so they were pulling me out. 
And I turned to Jeff and I says, I know where this is going. And I go, I don't care if I hold the light. I want to be a part of this project. He goes, perfect. Come up to, to VidAngel next week. And so I was up to VidAngel next week and I met Dallas Jenkins for the first time. And he was the writer, director of that, that concept pilot. And before the end of the day, we were business partners, him and I. <laughs> and I'm like, how did this work out? But it was, you know, VidAngel had an amazing idea to start their own studio and to create content. And they wanted to find creative people, but also people that understand audience development, you know, that we could go through. And so we pretty much decided to take on the bear and we locked ourselves in an Airbnb and we came up with our messaging, who our avatar was, that's really important. And in fact, that's actually a, a case study in the book. I go in detail of what we went through that process. And, and then we executed on that plan. And the plan was to break the all-time crowdfunding record in film and television, which was held by Mystery Science Theater 3000 and Veronica Mars, both raised $5.7 million. And we wanted to raise $10 million for a TV series about life, Jesus Christ. And we did it through content with the content that was created that we watched. We did it through a tentpole event, which was Christmas. And we were able to get it in front of a lot of people. Now, what we didn't do was take money immediately. And we still had to do what they call uh, testing the waters campaign because we were going to do a public offering and do a reg A. And so we did get approval with the Securities Exchange Commission because we had interest in it. And then that following June, we, we did a launch around Father's Day and we went all the way to the first of the year and we were able to break the all-time crowdfunding record in film and television. We did well over $10 million from 19,000 people. And that was the, the, the first stage. And then stage two was we had to create a TV series and stage three would be distributing it. And so our new goal now is to get a billion people to watch the chosen. And we want to do it in a very disruptive way. That's why we have very strategic partnerships with Jeffrey Harmon and Neil Harmon and the people at VidAngel is because they're not going to conform to everything else. And so we have our own app that you can download in the iOS or Android. It's available in every single country. We are translating it and dubbing it in languages. You know, we have 60, 60 languages it's already translated into and we're dubbing it, you know, as, as we can, as we bring the resources in. And we're making it available all around the world. Now, here's the, the caveat. Remember, we talked about we split test everything. We started to grow an audience. And this audience became very passionate. Like, we're really good at understanding how to create these audiences. And we decided we understood our avatar. We understood where we we're going. And we, we social media has been very active in it. The reason why is I believe in it. I believe in that, that, that constant touch point. And it's worth that money. So brands and businesses can learn for what we did. So you go and look chosen on anything. You can say, oh my gosh, this is so amazing. They got a million views here, a million views there, all organic. And it's just like, it's so crazy uh, to think that we have 1.6 million people following us on Facebook and we're pushing 800,000 on YouTube, which will be at a million here in, in a couple of weeks anyway. It's just, it's just massively growing. And when you look at it, we test everything when it comes through that process. And uh, the reason why we distributed on an app is because we wanted it in every place. That's the only way you can get to total saturation, right? That's the only way you can get to a billion people. And we found last, it was right before the pandemic, we, we found that there was some issues that were going on in the world and we had an opportunity. And we knew that we needed to do stuff differently. And we had this idea where, and this is Jeffrey's idea, I'm not going to take credit whatsoever for it, but the idea of what if 
we did it a little bit differently. So we did a test and this was our idea. What if we did it for free? Could we sell more copies of it, right? And we did a test of that. We had some validation points. So we decided to do a model where it was when someone would unlock it to watch it faster, that it unlock it for 10 other people. And that kind of created this feedback loop that was a free model that people could watch it for free if they couldn't afford it. And those that could afford it could unlock it for more people to watch. So it's like a for-profit. It's not a nonprofit. Like it's not a donation. They just want to unlock it. But while they're unlocking the content, it opens it up for more people. What a brilliant idea, right? And so what happened was not only did we raise enough money for season two, which the it was right around $13 million of what we needed to raise, but we also funded other little things. We were able to scale not only their company, but our company to, to start building up to where it needed to be. And, and we've been able to really grow this all organically. So going from zero to well over $30 million in sales is pretty impressive. And especially when you break it down of our distribution model and also how we're actually doing it. And it was all coming back down to having a really good piece of uh, content that had an idea that we locked down who is our, our audience, what do they look like? And it was really easy because the audience is us, right? And we could really identify what we, we wanted to see. And, and we created a plan and a message to connect with them on the level of the funding, but also on the level of getting it out to the world. And that was all done three years ago. And, you know, we're following that plan to the T and it, it like, it, I was just surprised of how fast we were able to self-fund. I just, to be honest with you, to get self-funding for season two, I thought, we, I thought it would be, you know, at least season four before we were, we were in the black, you know, but immediately it was able to take us on a level that I never thought we would be at. And it all comes back down from the principles. And that's why it's a case study, you know, in the YouTube formula. Well, you know, one of the principles that I'm sure other people have said it, but I think it was in one of your videos that you're teaching it, that it really like stuck through to me is this, this principle you talk about of clarity of your audience, like genuine clarity of, yep. of them and what they're, and when they're not watching, what else are they doing? And all the, like, yep. who are they really, you know? And like, I'm a churchy guy, I'm a believer. And I've seen lots of videos about Jesus in 40 years, right? But you guys, you've got high production quality. You've got this, you've got something that you can't get elsewhere. Like I remember watching yep. the first time I watched part of The Chosen, it was like, wow, I have never seen it from like the shepherd kid point of view. And yep. it's not in your face. And it's, you know what I mean? Like everybody's so often working on being better when really there's so much money in being different. If yeah. you're different in the way that your audience is looking for, right? So Congratulations to you guys because you you did something that people hadn't seen before, but yeah. that your target audience. Well, really but wanted. you crave for it. Let's 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 not deny it, right? Like we've all seen cringy content that's like, here's Mr. Stoic Jesus, and this is how he is. He's stiff and unapproachable, and and that's not who he is. And so you know, for us, they were always cautious because they had to be cautious because it's it's just. You're dealing with the son of God, right? And so that's kind of that's kind of the 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 hesitation. But there were great there were great films like Ben Hur is an amazing film, but Ben Hur brought in human emotion to it, where all this other stuff misses it. And so for us, even though like the idea, and this is this is true, this is our messaging. We wanted to create an HBO quality. Okay, HBO quality was really important film or television show about the life of Jesus Christ, but it was about an authentic Jesus, 
a Jesus that is approachable, that would be one-on-one with people. And I think a lot of people uh, always focus in on the stoic side of Jesus and not the humanity side of Jesus. And we wanted to portray that. And so the essence is more about transformation and people's journey. And you're going to see in the series, it's not about Jesus's miracle that actually happens. They'll probably allude to it or whatever, but it's about people and how people have problems and people's have problems and issues. And it doesn't because they're a believer mean that they all go away. It means that they're people and with world problems is world issues. Okay. And it's how we deal with it and how we seek refuge and comfort. And when we can turn our hearts to Jesus, that's where the transformation can occur. And if we decide not to, and even though we know that's where some, some issues are, like you saw with Nicodemus uh, and his struggles, you know, in, in episode seven. Well, I think about this, like people don't have to be, People don't have to be Christian. People like this is the kind of magic of YouTube of like you can find your audience. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Like, I got friends from all different religions. I got people who th- some of my very best friends thinks when we die, that's it. Would you, you know, yep. lights out, yep. that's it, right? And YouTube has something for everybody, but it's not just YouTube. Look at what you guys have done. You didn't just do a mass market that appeals to everyone. You picked an audience and you nailed it, you know. And it's funny that you said, even if I held the light, because uh, I, was ta- I was talking to one of my friends, a client this morning, Ben Ward, who I think had done something with you at some point. Hey, and he's like, yeah. well, you got to talk to, you got to talk to Daryl about spreading light in the world. <laughs> and, and you're like, so when you said, even if I held the light, I thought it was, thought well, it was great. Well, and, and Ben, what a great guy. Like, I, I think he's super smart and, and amazing, but like, all of us have, have purpose. And so I'm not motivated at all by money. Like I'm not, it, like it's means to the end, right? And yes, you need it to really make an impact in a lot of ways. I do believe in the organic approach, but it was the moment that for me, when I saw the power of an audience and it was very, very profound moment for me. And it was a moment where, and, and let me just tell you the story because it just was transformational for me. Cause I was always trying to figure out what's my thing, right? And I was really good at getting people to watch things, you know, early on in, in, in YouTube, early on on websites. And I could get them to take action, but I didn't know what my thing was. And it wasn't until I was helping the piano guys and they were doing their first concert and it was at Tuacon. And it was like, there was nervous because they're like, oh man, we just do music videos. We don't do concerts. And John's like, I always do concerts. I never do music videos. It was just like the funniest little thing. But, but it was, it was seeing that and seeing how they responded to the piano guys. And it was, and it was just kind of mind blowing. It was it was grand, great grandmas taking their great grandkids and their kids. It was a multi generational experience, and I go, "Wow!" And I and I thought about it. I was sitting in the audience, and you know, I had some marketing stuff that I had to do because I was the marketing guy trying to get all this other stuff going. And I was sitting back, and I'm like, "Man, you know, there's such a great light, you know, and it's a shame that, that a lot of people have these talents and abilities, and these businesses do as well, but they're very confined." And it hit me like that. I knew what I was supposed to do. Like I can amplify light. I know how to amplify light. And the best way to do it is to create a platform that gets attention. And that's why I love social media. That's why I love YouTube is because you can really make an impact. And you look at the people that I work with, like Mr. Beast, for example, there's content creators that do these dumb pranks and really just degenerates on YouTube. And these kids, Gen Z is like, oh, these are my idols. Like, I don't want that. So I help a kid 
that every video that he does, he gives away things in his videos, money, gives away houses, cars, you know, you just people break down and cry and he's helping them and he does some fun things, but he's also a kid and he does dumb things, but it's dumb things that lead to good fun, you know? And so for me, I found my jam. My jam 100% is find people or causes that have a light and then I amplify it. And I use my uh, God-given talents that God's given me to know how to do that. And it just, it just does. I, I've seen it with, with every uh, client that I work with from Studio C, like we can just start naming all of them that I've done. And it's just, it's just interesting and it's fun. And I, I think for me, when you really look at it is understanding what type of impact we want to leave the world. Because if we, if we can make the world a better place in our own homes, in our own community, in our own countries and worldwide, that's what we need to do. And how do we do that? We do that through really, really direct communication. That's why video content is really powerful. And we, we've all seen how social media can rip apart families, communities, countries, and the world. But you can counterbalance that with goodness too. And we need to flood with goodness. We need to flood with these awesome videos that really elevate humanity and want them to feel better. And I, and I look at every aspect of my life as, you know, I have certain skills that can amplify, but it's like the best way for that to happen is when people, when humans actually find value in something that they have to share. It's, It's human nature. That's why I take a big portion of the book. It's like human nature that we have to, when we find something that we love, we have to share it. And you look at the case study of the chosen, it's no surprise how they share and why they share, because it's completely predictable, completely predictable. Now the unpredictability is how fast it spreads. That's always a surprise to me, right? But it is predictable. Like if you make something amazing, people have to talk about it. And what we found too, and the reason why we have our social strategy the way that it is, and our audience development strategy the way it is, is you always have to stay in contact with them because somebody else will grab their attention. But if you keep their attention, you keep their focus, then you can actually have a sustainable model to really get your message out there organically. And then as you pepper in uh, paid ads, then it becomes really, really, really powerful and very, very targeted. Well, and but again, there are so many people out there saying we need to make the world better. Business needs to be helpful, conscious capitalism, all these things. And then they run a little short on how to's or, you know, and, and I think this is, again, probably like the theme of the show here today is I love that you have evidence. Do you know what I mean? Like, like you have outcomes. Yeah. People, I've got friends, you know, my one business partner is my hero. He's my mentor. He's like 16 years old than me and he's not, a, not into YouTube. Okay. And I was saying that you were coming on the show today and, and uh, I brought up that you worked with Mr. Beast. He has no idea who Mr. Beast is. I was like, he's the guy who like, you know, buys car dealerships and gives away the cars and makes everybody cry and helps people. He's like, oh yeah, I've seen those. That guy's great. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and you've actually done it. It's not just preaching the you shoulds that everybody else should do. And I, and I appreciate that. Yeah. And that's really, that's really important for me because I think, you know, there's one thing when it's like a hypothetical, you know, situation and you're, you're trying to teach through, you know, methodology and or whatever, it's fine. And I think that's really powerful. But for me, what, what makes me really motivated is when like, oh my gosh, they did this and it gave me a million ideas of what I can do even better and bigger because of what they taught me through that case study. And that's why I do case studies at, at VidSummit. That's why the, the book is literally full of every case study that you can even imagine. 
And the reason why is because that's how I consume and how I see the world. And I think too, this is um, something that I, I'm a firm believer in. I think knowledge should be open source and you can pay for, you know, knowledge that that's actually organized in a certain way. But I, I, I was in the jungles of, of South America and I went into this, this village and I was teaching, I was on a, a LDS mission and I was teaching this family and they didn't have running water. They had a well that they had to go to. They didn't have power. And I'm like, there's no way, like, there's just no way that this, this family can pull out of the cycle. And it bothered me. And I saw them, they're happy. Don't get me wrong. They were some of the happiest people I've ever met. But I'm like, there's just no, like no education, no nothing. And I was, I was in the family, there's an eight-year-old and I'm like, man, man this eight-year-old has nothing that is going to improve his, his education. Like the school systems down there was horrible. It was broken. There's a lot of weird weirdness factor with the black market and all those other stuff in that area. And I'm like, you know, this, this kid has no hope. Well, what was interesting, <laughs> still blows me away, but what was interesting is four years ago, I get this random Facebook message and it was that kid. And I'm like, that's odd. And so we we ended up, you know, going over and talking and, and on on Messenger. And he lived in Uruguay. I'm like, how in the world are you living in Uruguay, man? You're like in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And he goes, Well, I, I got I got a cell phone, you know, when I was a kid. And and we, we that's kind of our it was our entertainment. You know, we didn't have anything else, but we had the cell phone, we had internet on it. And he goes, I watch YouTube videos. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. And I was telling him all my YouTube background and all that other stuff. He's like, yeah, yeah. He goes, but I, I wanted to become a computer programmer. And I was actually getting lessons from MIT, Stanford, and Harvard on programming computers. I go, Harvard doesn't teach computers. Oh, yeah, he does. And he gave me the whole thing from there. I'm like, that's so crazy. And, and I go, well, well, tell me your journey. And so he told me his journey. He's making like 200K a year in Uruguay. And he pulled his family out of their situation because they're really into family there and brought them there. And they, he, he literally broke the cycle. Now, how was that cycle broken? It was because internet was available and people were willing to share without a paywall and YouTube's free, right? And so for me, probably the, the most exciting thing ever in the history of all mankind is to see what's happening in the satellite right now where Elon Musk is giving global internet to reaches of the world where people don't even have it. And I had a consult with someone in Uganda and it was really amazing. He paid me like a lot of money. And when I found out, I gave it all back, but cause it's like Uganda money versus us. It's like, wow, you know, and he just wanted an understanding of how to improve his YouTube channel. And, you know, he was, he was actually was providing for himself. And what was interesting, he did these game effects and he was teaching uh, people how to do the game effects. And he had a channel that was showing, you know, some fight scenes and all their stuff. Well, what did I do? I called Epic Games and I says, I found you a freaking programmer. I know you're always asking for these game developers. Here he is. Guess who got employed by, by Epic Games that lives in Uganda? <laughs> you know, so it's like, this is a, an amazing thing. And I think the only way that we can elevate society is to, to access freely information that can help us transform and that we can learn and take it to the next level. That's how that that kid was able to transform his life and his family's lives and the impacts of her generations will come is because someone was willing to teach him, even though that it was in English and he had to learn English. And even though, you know, where did he learn English? YouTube. But it was like, hey, you know, wow. Yeah. And so that's why I love that you you cannot tell me, you know, another platform that's better than YouTube right now. It's just that's why I love it, is because 
you can get whatever you're, you're into and, and, and you can deep dive into it and you can get sucked into it. And how many, how many people are learning a foreign language right now, you know, to better improve their life, how they're learning a, a skill just to improve their life. And it's free, you know, and it doesn't get much better than that. No, I love it. I, you know, I talk about audible all the time because of my addiction, my audiobook addiction. But what I don't talk about on this show much is how often I am listening to YouTube with the screen off. Okay. Uh, You know, YouTube premium, I've got it on the background. I'm driving somewhere. I I am constantly listening to old Warren Buffett videos or Bruce Flatt or Howard Marks or, or these people who have really high level skill sets at what our real estate investment fund is trying to go do. And I, like, I talked to my wife, like, it sounds silly. I've said like prayers, thanking God that YouTube exists. Okay. (laughs) These guys who are multi-billionaires yeah. that don't have books out, Bruce Flatt has zero books out, okay? Yep. He runs $550 billion Brookfield. He's one yep. of the best people in the world at translating Warren Buffett's principles to real asset investing, like real estate and solar energy farms and stuff like this, okay? He has no book. There's yep. no Audible for me to give Bruce But the like talks at Google of Bruce Flatt, I, I mean, I've listened to that thing 20, 30 times. I've had so many people listen to that. All, all these other interviews, all these things, you know, that I'm getting for free from YouTube. It's magical. Yeah, and, and that's actually, the same. That's 100% the same idea of VidSummit. It's like giving people a platform so you can learn, right? They can they go from there. So that's like any event, you would be surprised. Like that's what Qualtrics hired me for is, hey, we got some of these big speakers. They don't have a platform. We need to be able to promote it in a unique way. You know, we want to we want to get as much visibility for them, but it also for us. And so it's like really, really interesting there. But it, once you understand that when you make it free and accessible, you know, you don't have to pay for it. You just have to pay to, to get it, you know, produced and then you can put it out there and it just lives and it's searchable and it's found. And when, when someone knows that your, your, your addiction habits, which is the AI, it's going to feed you things that you didn't even know existed onto YouTube because they know that you'll watch it. And they know that you're actually listening to it. Like that's how weird YouTube AI is. It sees that pattern and it knows, okay, you like the longer form stuff and it's more about this. And that's what's showing up on your homepage, you know? And I think that right there is one of the coolest things about uh, why I think YouTube is powerful and the best platform out there is it predicts what you want to watch. And it's not feed driven based off of reaction of who you're connected to. You know, I'd be interested in your advice. I think about this both both for ourselves and for the CEOs who are part of our, you know, that our consulting firm helps, right? Is I'm interested in your thoughts on there's there's like a there is a slight trepidation of when people hear YouTuber, there there is like there is a certain category that that often fits in and there's a culture of YouTubers, right? right. And and many times more sophisticated business people don't identify with younger audience doing making material for Gen Z people or something like this, right? Yep. And, and yet you see like Casey Neistat, somewhat more mature, Mark Rober, very like brand safe, mature, but wildly entertaining. You know, this morning I was on a call with one of the groups that I help lead. And there's, you know, guys who manage, this guy manages a hundred million. This guy manages a couple hundred million. This woman has raised $8 billion for mutual funds. Right. And they're all writing books right now because they see how it can make them a high visibility expert and it brings work to them. And I'm interested in talking to them about like thinking, rethinking YouTube and and not the way that, you know, their other friends from Harvard ha- have thought about it and going like, no, there is a, there's a more, this is my premise. I don't want you to tell me if you think I'm wrong. There's okay. a more mature approach that can be taken that does match what your ideal audience is looking for. 
but that brings like Mark Rober level entertainment so that millions of people would want to see it. And I just want to know if you think that that more businessy type information is too much of a contrast or, or what your thoughts are there. No, there's an audience for everything. Like, look, look, are you saying that you're the only person that likes the stuff that you're into? Like you're not, <laughs> you know, you're not, or they wouldn't have speakers come speak and get people to fill, you know, conferences from there to listen to these people that that's the only platform for it. Right. Like, like with, with all demand, in certain information, there's an audience, right? And so knowing that you could have the weirdest things that you could ever imagine in the history of all mankind, that there's an audience for it, right? And they just find a place to gather because that's where the content is. And so, yes, there's an audience for everything. And it, the, the audience really thrives when you take an approach where a brand can even create content without an influencer. So let me give you a couple uh, very specific examples of brands that did it right. One is Gillette. Gillette actually realized that YouTube was a search engine. And so they made a video, how to shave. You can go Google that. It comes up. They know that their avatar will be learning how to shave. And, and a lot of, of, of those viewers are coming in single family homes or something where there's not a lot of, you know, instruction when it comes to that. So they know that, that that's going to be their prime market. It cost them maybe, maybe $100, you know for the conceptual of it, maybe a few hundred dollars to create, okay? And yet it's getting millions of views every year of potential people coming on that's you know, wanting to learn how to shave, okay? That right there is a very, very cool organic strategy that works. Now, what you're talking about is a little bit different, right? So that's, it's a brand that you can use, you know, just things that, it, that they know that people would be looking for on YouTube and it's for searchability. Well, GoPro is by far the best brand I've ever seen that promotes itself without promoting itself. They, they do. They basically made, there's a culture of showing, oh, best on GoPro and GoPro will reach out to the people. Okay, hey, can we reshare that on our, 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 our site? Of course. And you have some of the most amazing experiences of selling. It's a, it's a basically a GoPro ad, but it's someone's adventure using a GoPro. And that pretty much transformed that company overnight because they were getting shots. They're like, oh my gosh, that's so amazing. What do they do? They go buy a GoPro so they can go do that amazing thing. You know, and so it's, it's controlling yeah. the narrative, which is, which is important, right? And so does it actually work? Yes, there's, there's people right now that are the thought leaders, leaders on it. You can go, you know, Stephen Graham is, is great for real estate and also some investing. Meet Kevin does similar type of, of, of things from there. But those are just, those are the ones that are just barely coming into it, right? Yeah. Even thought leadership in the law space, you look at Legal Eagle as an example. I use him because he's a, basically a client and also a case study in the book of how you can transform and actually elevate the status from there. And absolutely, like he's, still doing law very, very, you know, differently, <laughs> but he's making a lot more money and has a lot more influence when it comes to legal things. And so you know, it's really, really interesting if you, you look at it from that perspective. So I guess my question for you is what advice would you have for somebody like, okay, I'll tell you about a video. Cause you know, our show is great. We made, you know, we're often the number one innovation podcast in the world, right? We are not touching the reach that your clients get on YouTube and yeah. stuff like that. So we're completely rethinking this business and going like, Hey, this thing actually got big enough that we've got something here with this show and the connections and stuff. But you know, what if we were making like, what if we were making YouTube content that, what if we were making videos that that were these like tentpole type events or something that people hadn't seen before? And then we've got the question of like, 
you know, we want to stay professional enough that people are like, I would, I would invest with that company. Right. Yep. But we want to yep. put in like some big hook points. Like, you know, can we like, can we teach a Warren Buffett principle, bring some celebrity, like do a video where it's got some celebrity who's got a book coming out or a movie coming out. And we make a, a video that's a giant fundraiser for the charity of their choice and an advertisement for their book. And is like teaching some Warren Buffett principle with, with like, you know, the world's biggest water balloon or something. And it's like, try and win again a Spook World Records while raising yeah, money no, for a celebrity or something. You yeah, know? I, I like where your headspace is at, but I think that you're going down a, a path that you don't need to go down. Okay. okay. So let me let me tell you, the, the most watch uh, YouTube channels, Coco Melon, kids channel. Second most watch is Ryan Toys Review. Third most watch is Mr. Beast. Okay. The fourth most watched is Joe Rogan on YouTube. Okay. The fifth most watched is WWE. The sixth most watch is Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan's clips. Okay. There's something different. He's not breaking a freaking water balloon on it. Right. It's just, you know, you have predictability on, he'll have interesting guests and then he'd take that segment out and, and have something that's just a standalone video that brings value and brings some curiosity that earns the click that gets people listening to his podcast, the longer form stuff. Now, it was so great that Spotify gave him $100 million to do a Spotify contract. But did that stop his YouTube channel? Absolutely not. What he does now is use those little moments in there and let them know they can get the rest of the, the podcast. You know, and that's just, that's just, that's it. And it's not like, it's not like you need to create this artificial in engagement to get views. What you need to do is, is understand who your audience is and where they value and how they're going to find value in, in your content. And for me, I know, cause I'm a Joe Rogan listener. I, I know that I'm going to get an interesting, and I said this earlier, but like an interesting interview on a perspective that I didn't even know existed and, you know, it will be very like he doesn't shoot people down. He doesn't rip them apart. He doesn't whatever. He actually absorbs it and asks more appropriate questions to get more information out of these very unique people. And, you know, here he has like Elon Musk coming on for a three hour interview, you know, talking about different aspects of all his life. And of, of course, that's gold because you could take a snippet here, snippet there, snippet there, snippet there. And you might have 10 videos that could be shared, you know, in, in a very unique way with, with people go, oh my gosh, that's an amazing topic. And yet there's a whole other interview for three hours, you know, 14 minutes that you can go watch on Spotify. So, I mean, there's several opportunities here that you could take it. Don't, don't think that you have to dumb stuff down. What you need to do is understand your audience, what they're looking for, and then provide the most value you possibly can where they go, man, that was totally worth my time. I got to actually talk to my employees about this, or I have to talk to my friend about this, or I have to share this video with them because it made an impact. And, and yeah, you have people like Mark Rober that are a master storyteller. Like right now he's doing a live video with NASA and putting a Rover on Mars. And yet he did that seven years ago when he worked at NASA. So there's like a lot of backstory and stuff like that, but you don't need that. What you need is figure out what people find valuable in your space and provide that value where they go, huh, that was really good. And I really appreciate that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be checking in every time they upload a video or I gotta watch more videos, this is so great. And you, you don't have to go through the effort of trying to be that creative in it. You just need to bring value and you gotta understand what value is and how value would be received by the viewer. And the biggest mistake that, this is the biggest mistake that creators and brand make 
is when they think that they truly understand the audience when they don't. They just know what they think is good, but they don't understand what the audience loves. Okay. And it's, it's understanding, hey, no, the audience would love this, you know, and when you can almost anticipate it and have that sixth sense of knowing who your avatar is, then it, it becomes easier. Now for me, I know my avatar at VidSummit. I know my avatar, all this other stuff because VidSummit, I am, I'm the only people that get on stage is when I want to learn from them. That's it, you know? And I don't compromise that. If there's something I want to learn from them, they're on stage. And, you know, there's a process to, to go through, of course. And I know there's more people like me that appreciate that, right? And if they if they do like the self-promotion pitch and they go off, they, they're never getting on stage ever again, you know? And, and and for me, I just want, I want knowledge. I want all that other stuff. So I understand the avatar there, but when it's not you and it's like, okay, I know I'm not, you might need to do the Warren Buffett approach. You know, Warren Buffett owns Dairy Queen, okay? His, his company's own Dairy Queen, right? He'll take his grandkids and his great grandkids to Dairy Queen. And then he sits and buys them whatever they want to eat and he'll pay, you know, for it in cash. You know, he doesn't put it on credit with his stuff, right? And then he just sits and listens to what they're talking about, what they're into and why. Because Gen Z is that next generation of buyers. And he not only doubled his holdings, he tripled his holdings in Apple because Apple was still relevant with those kids. Not because of some stock report. It was still hip and it was still cool. And so he reinvested even before everybody else did, you know? And so it's like he doubled down, tripled down, you know, just because that that was the essence of the crowd. And that's the, that's the difference. I think that people like Warren Buffett will take data and understand people and kind of merge it together. And that's what I do in the book of the YouTube formula. It's like taking, making data-driven approaches of understanding people. Like when you're doing that, you have a better understanding of how to communicate. And as you get more data, you can say, oh, that didn't work. Oh, that worked or did it. Let's test it out again. And when you can start saying that's a hypothesis, but now we have data to back it, then it becomes more predictable. And the more predictable you are of understanding what people like and what they don't like, then that's when you can replicate success. And that's where growth actually comes from. And so please do not think that you have to go down that, that role. I don't think any brand or business should do that. What they need to do is take a step back and say, who are we actually communicating with? And for me, your, your avatar for the customer might not be your avatar for the viewer. And I know that that's kind of hard to do it. So you're like, well, wait a minute, you know, this is, this is a disconnect, but let me, let me tell you, in The Chosen, when we defined our, our avatar, it was a 25 to 45-year-old female, okay, female, that was the volunteer type, that was the person that was volunteering in the community, volunteering at school, volunteering the, the church, okay? And why did we do that? It's because she cares about her family, okay? Now, it wasn't necessarily had to be married or not, but they had to be a volunteer type, okay? And so when we did that, we knew that that was the, the, the decision maker to some financial decisions in the home. That's where it at. We wanted it in the deep South because it was someone that might be more religious. We have a high probability of that, that being done, right? And so when you go there, when you're like, okay, how do we reach them? You don't go on YouTube. We analyze where does a high probability of these people congregate that would be easy to communicate with them. So we went on Facebook. Facebook was the first place that we went and the messaging was there. Now, I knew in my heart that they weren't the, the, the audience that would actually be our main audience, right? But they were the gateway to take us where we needed to be. And, and, and they would talk about it. And let me tell you who the audience is. I can tell you exactly who the audience is. I want Gen Z to be my audience. That is my biggest desire is when kids that would watch The Chosen go, oh my gosh, that was super amazing. I need to talk about that. 
you know, that's my audience and I will always do it. Now you'll notice that some of our social postings a little irreverent at times and we do memes and stuff like that. I'm a meme guy. Dallas is a meme guy. We communicate through memes all the time and we'll have it there. But Gen Z appreciates that. The internet appreciates that. We're not so serious on this topic because we're a business and we're people and we like to laugh. And sometimes we like to laugh at dumb things, you know, and it might offend some people, but it's okay because the reality is we care about our, our core group, which is the core viewer of Gen Z. So by doing that, And knowing that, think about this for a second. If Gen Z thinks it's cool, then mom and dad are like, holy cow, our kid actually likes the chosen. What is this chosen thing? And it's happened before where we actually had, you know, uh, younger millennials and Gen Z that go to their dad that are Gen Xers and say, hey, you got to watch this. Well, I don't have time to watch it. I'm too busy. You know, and then they watch it and they're like blown away. And then they talk to their dad, which is a boomer or mom, you know, which is a boomer. And it's like a multi-generational impact. But if you put the focus where it's not cool and it's not really resonating with your main target, then we'd only get the generation that I don't really care about. I care about the upcoming generation because if you're going to impact the world, you've got to impact it with the world of the people that are coming up and what Gen Z is. And this is something that most people don't understand. They don't like to be preached to. They don't like to be told, hey, this is the way you got to do it because it's the way we always been doing it. They don't want us to retire when they're 65. They want to experience life now. They don't want to wait. Yeah, it, it might not make any rationale for an older generation to understand that. But when you understand that, that they want to think differently and they want their individuality and that's what the show's about, then there's a, there's a, there's a fit for that. And realize that they don't need to compromise everything. They just need to understand that there is an authentic Jesus that can connect with them. And so that audience, if you ever want to impact the rising generation, this is why Warren Buffett always decides with Gen Z. That's what we need to do too, is because if you want to be long-term sustainability, a company that can withstand generations, you need to understand the upcoming generation or you're one generation from extinction. And I don't care if you're a, a church, a brand, a business, a you know, small business or a creator, you will have a churn rate if you don't understand who's the new audience coming up. And, and that's why we're focusing in on Gen Z. And then two, I'm a dad of five. I want my kids to enjoy it. They're Gen Z. And if I get them, and if that's a, a way for them to connect with that, that content and that messaging, then, then they're more bigger fans. And, and yes, not just because I'm the executive producer and the, uh, the, the president of the company, but my kids actually are fans of the show, you know, and they're fans of the show because they enjoy watching it. You know, that's, that's the, the, the biggest pleasure. And so please focus in on the upcoming generation, but you need to understand who you're creating content for and who's going to be buying. And you got to understand things evolve, data changes, people change and transform. Be like the squatty potty where they knew they had to do something different to, to reach the younger audience. If not, they'd always be where they're at. And that was fading out to, you know, where they couldn't really scale it. By the way, that ad worked on me. I've got one. So good. Um, <laughs> the best product um, ever. <laughs> so, you know, I'm interested. You've had so much success. You've done so many things. What's next? Are there are there other areas that you're interested in? I think the big Would thing for me- you like to do me, more mainstream media? Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I, I think the big thing for me is I'm very cautious in what projects I can take on because I get self-absorbed in those projects and, and it can go from there. I really do like what we're doing with The Chosen. You know, we're going to do that seven seasons and we have some other ideas from other, other types of projects that we'll be announcing- you know, coming up. And I I think I'm really excited about that vein, probably more so than anything else. But 
I, I think really to get me interested, it, it would have to be, okay, what type of impact is it going to have on the world? And what does that look like? And if I feel like, oh, I'm really interested in it, I can't stop thinking about it, then that's kind of where I gravitate. But for right now, it's definitely counterbalancing all the filth and, and issues that are out there in social media and elevating humanity by giving them a little light of good content that that not only is amazing HBO type quality content, but it has a really good message with it and something that kind of elevates humanity as does it rips it apart. Love it. Well, listen, I appreciate all the time you spent with us today. Congratulations on the book. Congratulations on all the businesses. Well, thank you. Uh, no, I love anything, it. Uh, anything you want to leave with today? No, I, I think there's there's a lot of people probably listening or watching that are inspired, you know, in one aspect or another. But I, I do know if we don't actively take action, if we don't actively set goals and look to improve our situation, then we're always listening to be inspired. And don't fall in the camp of just listening to be inspired. Find ways to apply one of the principles that you heard either here or throughout your day to become better. And I, I think you can be better in all aspects of your life if you'll focus in on your own education. But part of that education is taking action and applying what you're learning. If not, then you're just absorbing. And if you don't absorb and, and, and use, you just kind of get weighed down and, and you become lethargic. You have to take action. You have to push the needle. You have to improve the, the, the situation that you're in, whether that's in your own personal life, your family life, your community, the nation or the world. And please think about social media because when you do it right, it can impact more than just yourself and it can be spread very naturally and organically. And it, and it doesn't put more, a hard amount of effort in that if it's a really good piece of content. So definitely take some action and really look at, hey, maybe there's something I can learn from about people, audiences or whatever. And I hope I blessed your life today. Awesome. Thanks again. Yep. Thank you.